Hello, I'm Alistair. I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 11, Episode 6 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, it's the four-year roundup. Okay, let's do the news then on the 22nd of December 2021. It's hard to pick out news, I think, sometimes when there's too much to choose from. Yeah. The thing that I keep meaning to sort of mention is that Planet went public, didn't they? Their SPAC thing (laughs) (laughs) happened. (laughs) I'm really not the guy, but I think you can search for the marker on the stock exchange on Twitter and find out news about that particular stock. It's dollar sign PL. And it's really interesting because it's not just you and me talking about the cool things around Earth observation, but now it's traders and people looking to invest in the company, passing comment on the financials and what the books look like and all this kind of stuff. So it's definitely worth worth checking out as an aside, at least. The traders, they don't necessarily care about the ins and outs, but they care about how it makes money and how they can make money from the fact that Planet does that and things like that. It's really interesting, that sort of level of abstraction away from what we talk about all the time, which is the nitty gritty of data and capturing it and processing it and everything else. I'd encourage you to look at it. It is interesting. and It kind of opens your eyes in a different way. Um, Anyway, have you looked at the Radiant Earth Machine Learning Hub recently? No, I haven't. Probably not not for a year. (laughs) Wow, okay. So I hadn't looked at it much either. And uh, they put this blog post out saying um, geospatial models are now available in the Radiant ML Hub. And I thought, I'm going to check out the ML Hub. I haven't really looked at it much. And we talked previously about the pivot that they did. And the Hub is a really nice, well-contained page. I haven't used this this stuff, but I do think it's quite interesting how it's bringing the model and the data together in one, one sort of coherent place. So I don't feel I'm sort of qualified enough to, to talk about the actual operation of it, but I do think the direction of travel is interesting. So my first bit of news is that Digital Earth Australia coastlines have released some updates and have a really nice portal up and running. So you might remember that uh, Robbie Bishop-Taylor was talking to us about this work earlier this year. So if you haven't checked out that episode, episode, then go back and have a listen to it to find out exactly how they undertook the processing of things. But it's a really neat website, portal, viewer, whatever you want to call it. it. Allows you to zoom in and out, have a look at some of the time series stuff, plots up some animations. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. So I just thought I'd just highlight that so that as it's linked to something we've spoken about on the podcast. Okay, I've got um, two things to say. So I saw this announcement saying that Avengine has converted its entire catalogue into stack. So another win with Earth Engine. And the second thing is that the Jedi data, now we've spoken about this before a little bit, is now available in Google Earth Engine. Now I went looking for the data set and at the time when I looked, I couldn't see the actual products. Now I think that's because it's in like a beta kind of stage. However, there are, thanks to Keiko and Emil, some good examples out there of using the data within Earth Engine. And it's, you know, it's a phenomenally massive data set. But it's really interesting to load the data in. There are 103 properties in this particular data set that I'm looking through. So there's, there's quite a lot of statistics that can be derived. Oh, that's really cool. Some amazing stuff going on all over the place. I get blown away sometimes. I came across something called iScan Forest, which I think is quite interesting. So obviously we talk a lot about 
satellite-based remote sensing and Earth observation. But this is to do with using the Apple LiDAR, which is in the, I think it's the new iPhone, to look at acquiring point clouds for forest sites and measuring the dbh which if i remember correctly is the diameter of breast height which is a, a metric that's used by forest ecologists i think this is really cool it's it's one of those i was going to say novel uses of a new sensor but i guess it's not that novel as a use but it's a it definitely makes collecting data much easier for those who need to go out into the field and collect information and then I guess, relate it back to maybe things they collect from space or to other ecological variables. From your phone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what is going on? That's mad. Again, going back to planet, they used to say we basically sending mobile phones into orbit with a telescope. Yeah. And now something that previously would have cost, I wouldn't even be able to guess. The quality is astonishing, isn't it? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? The technological breakthroughs that have happened in our professional career, which, you know, we're, we're not at the end of our career or anything, but it's just amazing how Earth observation has changed from when we were being trained to, to how it is now. It's phenomenal. Wow, that's something else. Um, okay, so business type news. So there's two things that really caught my eye. The startup Albedo winning a license to sell imagery at 10 centimetres resolution. So they got the license from um, NOAA the National Oceanographic Atmosphere Administration. This is quite a big thing, really. Other suppliers, I think, have always been a little bit restricted. You know, it's a real boon for these guys. And, you know, basically they're just saying, you know, now it's up to us to get the instruments into space and operating well and make another dent in the geospatial market. And the other thing that caught my eye was ISI signing an agreement to provide the hardware X-band SAR satellite to MDA to replace RadioSat 2. Now, MDA, were they part of Maxar and they got sold back? They popped in, had a look around and then popped out again, I think. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, ISI, a, a, a relatively new company, although pretty groundbreaking, I would say, are effectively acting as suppliers now to more established firms. And maybe that's the model to come. It's funny, isn't it? Because once the satellites are up, all of the talk and the focus is on the data and how it's used, and rightly so. But companies like ISI and I guess Planet would be the same and, and others like Capella Space, they get their, their satellites up into space, but it's not as if their hardware team then just sort of sit back and go, oh, job done. You know, they're going to be working on iterations of, of the next sensor. And so when you think about it, this sort of thing makes perfect sense. They're going to be the, the technical specialists now who can really help miniaturize some of the technology that's been used in the past. And the 10 centimeter story is really interesting as well, because I think we've said a couple of times probably over the last few years about how there's going to be a fusion between aerial collected data and space collected data and this is right in that sweet spot yeah it's heading towards that way isn't it so i've got a couple of quick ones that i just want to go through one is to do with the brazil data cube which we have mentioned in the past yeah this is a paper which has been making use of the brazil data cube and the data in it in order to create a platform for land use and land cover data integration it's a really interesting, fairly technical paper worth having a look through. Some brilliant diagrams in there that explain um, some of the processing and some really good visualizations about how the land covers, land uses change over time as well. 
And then the other one was a project I came across called Callisto, and it's basically about data fusion and AI and looking at other distributed data sources through the use of Dias and other high-performance computers. Yeah, I haven't delved into the information behind this too much, but I'm going to have a look and, and just see uh, what it's doing. But it sounds like an interesting use of all of the things that we talk about on this podcast, yeah. basically. Yeah, it, the Brazilian Data Cube, they put their code up on GitHub. So that's fantastic. Callisto, I hadn't come across it before. No, I hadn't. There's a lot of these things, aren't there? These Horizon 2020 projects. It's hard to keep track of all of them. Okay, that's the news, isn't it? It's the end of the season. Yes, we're still running six episode seasons and it's the end of 2021. And it's also the end of our first four years of running the podcast. So that means that there's an absolute ton to discuss. Let's start off with a retrospective of 2021. I did this last year and I thought it'd be funny if I did it quick and tried to make it funny, but I don't think it worked very well. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only thing I ever do where I have to sit down and basically try and script it because otherwise I miss out on things. So if I've, if I've missed something, then that's on me. Please don't take it as a slight if I've missed something that you or your company have done. There is so much going on. And it does, in this time of year, it gives us the opportunity to look at those trains that have gone past and, and try to put some sort of perspective on it. So at the, the start of 2021, we asked on Twitter, 2021 will be the year of... And we had four options. One was SAR, one was high temporal repeat, one was hyperspectral, and one was COGS. And the overwhelming response, almost 60%, was SAR. So the question is, was it? In January, Oxford University was counting elephants from space. And we remember in 2020, we were using satellite imagery to identify penguin poo as a proxy for colonies. Uh, Landsat 9 had the announcement of its launch date, which was in fact later launched in October. Even at this early in the year, there's a heck of a lot we talked about regarding climate change and now being the moment to act. I think it's fair to say that 2021 was the year that climate was talked about a lot. Whether the action was actually there is debatable. There was a big article from the Technology Review about Joe Biden's massive opportunity to utilise the deluge of satellite data we had COP26 again, and many angles for of observation use. Even this month, Jonathan Amos tweeted, the most pressing mission with the UK involvement is with CO2M, which is a, a new Copernicus satellite system that needs to go up to help monitor the Paris COP21 agreement. It needs to be up no later than 2026. I think collectively, we, we encourage the UK government to commit to Copernicus and be part of this sort of fundamental mission. In February, there was a discussion it's funny thinking back to it, in fact, that over the threat to basically end GDAL, even walked away briefly, or so it appeared to. We had talk of sponsors on GitHub. However, I think this became quite a good news story in the end, as GDAL got quite a lot of significant support. NumFocus got behind it, and it even it actually even has a prospectus that if you want to sponsor, you can get involved with. And a special shout out to the, to the smaller companies that don't really get mentioned, you know, not the Googles or the Microsofts of this world, helps this sustaining. They are not unnoticed, at least by us. So it's been a good year for, for GDEL, but still, frankly, lots of companies are, are using it and taking it for granted. February, we had Michael Jones, who was uh, instrumental in Google Earth. He died that month, and we talked about him. Um, it was also a massive month for cloud-optimized GeoTIFFs with GeoServer supporting and OGC support, but perhaps a quieter year than we thought was going to be compared to the work on Stack. And in February, Stack 
RC 1.00 came out. In March, Etna erupted and Twitter did its thing. The HLS Harmonized Landsat Sentinel product was provisionally or publicly released, depending on how you see the wording. I haven't personally seen any follow-up on this. I find it's a little bit disappointing not to have heard more about it, but perhaps I'm not looking in the right places. March started and continued an incredible trend in 2021 of some seriously amazing tutorials and courses that were created and offered mostly freely. Some of these included the UN Spider, step-by-step flood mapping in Python. Uh, There's a couple of Future Learn EO courses, one with EarthBlocks and one with Deep Learning. There was a couple of Applied Sciences NASA on fire risk. And of course, Spatial Thoughts, who does some excellent blog posts in the GIS world. The world of the month in March was definitely SPAC. We tried to get our heads around that then. Um, the special purpose acquisition company. So we're only sort of seeing this kind of develop now, uh, as we talked about in the news, Black Sky, Tomorrow.io, and most significantly Planet announced their intention with these SPACs. The investor decks are pretty much like gold dust for anybody who was interested in the long-term business of these startups. And there certainly was a lot of speculation. I found though, nanalyze.com, if you want to have a look at them on their space tag, the investor analysis is not quite as happy about it and doesn't seem to take quite a cynical eye in april ever given yep (laughs) image of the year quite a year though for live eo as they announced their series a funding and they are hiring like virtually every observation company out there less blogs it seemed by april but when they did come they were pretty much stunners one of them that stood out was the space speedometer may the mega news maybe the trend data news of the year was the global land cover 10 meter product from impact observatory in esri sort of quarters a little bit cold i think based on the sentinel 2 data we were fortunate enough to speak with steve from impact observatory um and it's fair to say that you know we're pretty blown away with it but land cover has become this unexpected star of 2021 ESA um, released an incredible 10-meter product as well, based on Sentinel-1 and Sentinel-2. We've got the Dynamic World from Google. So again, thanks, Emil, for, for that heads up. It's really hard, to, I think, to compress this news. But suffice to say, if we went back two years and tried to imagine this on everyone's desktop for free, I don't, I don't think we could. <laughs> and it is thanks to, to these sort of frequently quoted buzzwords, but you know, very appropriate terms to our industry, like deep learning, open source, open data, progressive ESA policies, and NASA and USGS, the high compute, the temporal data. These have been sort of copy and pasted into Earth observation presentations for the last five years, but we don't want to get fooled by boats stuck in canals. Land cover was where the optical imagery was at in 2021. In May also, we had the carbon mapper planet announced and eyesight continued flood monitoring we spoke with shay in may about some of this incredible work may was also the month of amazing funding rounds Uh, may was the month in earth observation it seemed alba albedo satellite view all announced significant funding rounds and we did ponder whether eo was starting to go mainstream it isn't we discovered the eo clinic but is anybody using it it doesn't seem to have gained the traction that we protect potentially thought it would do and it's only in review that we look at the trains of information that have gone past may also saw lots of work out for the da africa in fact incredible year again for the open data cube the the da africa especially some amazing resources there training resources as well really good we spoke with robbie about the australia coastlines in 2021 again based on the data cube so back in june we talked about super pixels um, using r so it's not all python plenty of stuff happening in google earth engine the impressive sar watcher plus the amazing resource of awesome gee community data sets 
And there was a, a blog post which actually had three, uh, or well, in total three or two subsequent posts, uh, the GAI uh, planetary intelligence environmental management um, was discussed at a sort of this challenge of planetary data sets is really another core theme of 2021. July now, so halfway through the year, Sentinel-6 data public released and we had the observing Earth from space mock um, using the EarthBlocks data. So another continuous stream of, of, of amazing resources of information. In August, RSGIS Lib talked about the version five being promised. I haven't seen it out yet, though, so maybe point, yeah, delayed. Uh, again, it's only in review that you that you go back and look at these things. <laughs> we had we found an article about Vienna using EO for climate mapping, where we try and sort of look at, at more obscure places. Sadly, August marked the end of Remote Pixel. Thanks, Vincent, for that incredible resource. And Khalid stepped in in the summer to talk about many things, including digital twins. September. Stack tools for Sentinel-1, in fact, plenty of stack tools. When I looked at the Git repository, we're almost overwhelmed by stack-related things. Are all suppliers using stack? I can tell you now they're not. Um, we pondered over Twitch <laughs> and YouTube um, if streaming was be- going to become more of a thing with EO information dissemination. Autumn, again, is another great time for conferences, Phosphor-G being the most obvious one, huge component, again, of EO. I think that's about the third year in a row where you know it's been a almost the overwhelming topic of choice. In October, Landsat 9 finally launched. Kate Fickus was there to present for the ladies of Landsat. That felt like a big moment for our industry in that sense. Priya Patel had an EO tech newsletter out. The Sisters of SAR launched their website. Planet announced plans for the Pelican sensor and its fusion of SAR data. And the Open EO cloud came out. Uh, are you using this? <laughs> Just let us know. November found high resolution DEMs with Earth DEM, deep learning to detect solar panel coverage. So, you know, a, a great resource there. And we discussed how much we love a good readme. November, of course, will always be the 30 days of maps. And, and this year, it didn't disappoint in that sense. December now, and Google wants to save the, the world with satellite images. Sort of a light piece, but tied in with the Google Earth Engine Geo for Good conference. There was flooding in British Columbia, and the Geo Highlights report came out. And a quote from that, a year of events have profoundly impacted our society, wildfires in Canada, flooding, volcanic eruptions in Europe, severe droughts in Eastern Africa or Oceania, and the persistent disruption effect of COVID and pandemics. See, I did read it in the end. Planet went public. <laughs> Google increases its stake to about 13%. So it's, it's one of its biggest shareholders. So perhaps it was the year of SAR. Certainly Land Cover got a huge kick and Stack gained more traction. I think the EO community remains you know, a pretty vibrant place. EO chat continues and hopefully we're all part of an increasing and championing diversity. There's some frankly excellent people in this community so thanks to you all there were things in there i totally forgotten about and there were a whole load of things that i thought were more recent but happened you know sort of 10 11 12 months ago that was really great i would say the three main things that come out of that are basically the three things that you were, were highlighting most which are it was the year of SAR, it was the year of sort of a resurgence in terms of land cover being interesting and trendy again and it's also a year where funding has been absolutely crazy in terms of getting money into earth observation and space-based startups It's been an absolutely fascinating 2021, given that there's been so many challenges around the climate and ecological emergencies and the fact that COVID's around. I I think it's amazing that so much work is still getting done on all of this. 
With that said, I, I just want to thank all of the interview guests that we've had this year. So that's Flavia Mendez, Steve Brumby, Ed Mitchard, Fakar Khalid, Robbie Bishop-Taylor, Stavros Papadopoulos and Norman Barker, Tyler Erickson, Shay Strong, Vincent Sirago, Phoebe Odeur and Angelica Guterres, Laura Dingle-Robinson, Gopika Suresh and Sarah Banks. Thank you everybody for coming on to the podcast. I'm paranoid that I've missed someone. I don't think I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is difficult to keep up, isn't it? I think before we move on from the 2021 retrospective, we should also state that there's a lot of other podcasts out there. Uh, and there seems to be quite a strong trend to talking about Earth observation. I think this is absolutely great because it just goes to show how popular Earth observation and satellites and drones and all the things that are linked to Earth observation are in the geospatial world at the moment. I can't remember a time when geospatial and Earth observation have been so exciting to be around, so vibrant, and people from other tech industries want to come and be part of it. And I think that's great. And I think it's brilliant that all of these podcasts are outlets to help bring more people into our sector. And they're a way of informing people as well about what's going on and, and sort of who's doing what and how to do certain things. One thing I would say is that each of these different podcasts, and ours included, are all sufficiently niche in that we do our own style of podcast. But one thing I would, I'd be interested in understanding, maybe through the at Eocene from Twitter account, is how much interest there is to the listener in terms of this variety of podcast types. What is it that you, the listener, really want? We've been doing Seen From Above now for four years. And I guess it would be really interesting to us to understand from you who listen to us what your thoughts are in terms of where we sit amongst all these other podcasts and whether or not we should be working together to try and tackle specific topics or whether each of us are sufficiently different that it doesn't matter or whether, you know, some of us have had our time. Maybe four years is enough. I genuinely would be really interested. Yeah. <laughs> Hard, hard to put any uh, anything else onto that, is there? It's nice if we're helpful yeah. in some way to somebody. We do it because it's something that we enjoy doing, but we also would like to do it so it's beneficial to the person, persons who listen. That'd be a good point to move on to a sort of four-year retrospective. I guess over the, the last four years, we've found out about some pretty amazing things and spoken with lots of brilliant people, um, such as the people we, we thanked earlier. I just want to add in a special thanks to our two co-hosts that we've had in the last uh, four years. So that's uh, Haley, which I think was last year, and Khaled this year. Uh, thank you both. It's been really helpful to have other voices alongside ours, uh, increasing the sort of breadth of opinion rather than it just being the two of us all the time. Over the past four years, a heck of a lot has changed. There's data, there's portals, there's software, podcasts, and yet quite a little has changed as well because there was data, there were portals, software, podcasts. It's been a strange four years. If you look back at some of the episodes we've done, some things have sort of fizzled out and, and don't seem to be mentioned anymore. And other things have become really, really important. Our first episode was about Google Earth. And since then, we've been talking about Google Earth Engine as well. And I personally would say that Google Earth Engine is probably now the de facto tool for learning Earth observation and geospatial. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Andrew. Um, it's really hard, I think, today to know which direction 
people are, are, are arriving at. I still think there's probably quite a few people who download satellite data, but there's an overwhelming choice. But then there is the barrier with code. It's always quite a big learning curve. The thing with Google Earth Engine is that a lot of companies that I've worked with or know of are hesitant to use it because of its restrictive commercial license. My fear with Earth Engine isn't the standard fear that people have that Google will just turn it off. It's that a whole raft of people have, have used it as their way of processing huge volumes of satellite data. And then they're going to go and get their first job or they're going to go and get their next job and the company is going to respond and say yeah uh, we know but we have to do it this way we can't yeah. we can't we can't do it that way um and it, it does have have its own sort of foibles you know image collections and feature collections and the way you iterate over them and stuff you know it, it works brilliantly but the open data cube and from what i've seen from planetary computer do it in a more open way so one of the other things that we talked about in series one or two things sorry that we talked about in series one were time series and geostationary and <laughs> <laughs> i would certainly say that one is talked about more than the other in 2021 i mean time series is important i have a feeling in 2022 23 time series is going to become more and more important Geostationary, whether you know it or not, is massively important as well. And there have been some absolutely stunning images and animations put out on social media regarding various different phenomena that have happened uh, this year. So I like the fact that people are still pushing geostationary. I still think it's the underloved cousin, though, of all the other satellites that are out there. I, I agree with you, but I also think that you probably are seeing it you're just not perhaps acknowledging it at the moment, but I do think geostationary is forming a fundamental part of the planetary kind of data set. I do think that in the last year, two years, that business has seen the opportunity for this. Finally, for the sort of four-year retrospective, one of the things I just wanted to quickly mention was community. And I think that over the past four years that we've been doing the podcast, that community has grown infinitely stronger due to initiatives such as those by Ladies of Landsat and Sisters of Saar, just to mention two of the organizations that we talk about on this podcast. But I mean, there are a whole host of community-based, ground-up organizations that are doing so much good work at increasing diversity and inclusion in terms of bringing people into the earth observation sector, but also raising awareness within earth observation and geospatial about some of the issues that we need to, to overcome. Community is in a really strong place, but that is down to the fact there are some really strong leaders. And I'm not going to call out the leaders by name, but I think most people who interact with social media in one way or another will understand who the, the community leaders are really. Yeah, all of those that you've mentioned have grown significantly in four years. And the ones that have grown the most are the ones that champion their members without their members asking to be championed. Now you're going to ask me to make some predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I well, <laughs> I was wondering, should we do a predictions a bit? Uh, do you have any predictions? Off the top of my head, no. Because <laughs> I, I, I think that... Um, it's a fool's game. I think the best thing that we can do is to report on the news and then at, at times like this at the end of the year to look back and see where those trains of information have landed or if they've just never hit their destination. So I suppose the final thing that we need to do is really thank you, the listener, for staying with us for the four years that we've been broadcasting our podcast. At the moment, we're planning the podcast for 
the next 12 months. And we've got some great ideas about where that might go. So thank you if you've been listening to us for the last four years. If you've only recently joined us, then there's loads of great episodes that you can go back and have a listen to. But we sincerely hope that you'll stay with us and listen to some of the stories that we're going to be bringing you and obviously the news as well. As the Earth Observation community and the Earth Observation sector continue to be in dynamic flux, make sure you follow at EOSeenFrom on Twitter. And yeah, we'll see you in 2022. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You're on holiday, Alistair. I haven't been out of this room for two years. <laughs> <laughs>